Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Kodakery. I'm Megan. And I'm Josh. And I'm Adam Goldberg. This week, we have a man of many talents across a broad spectrum of creative disciplines. Actor, director, musician, and photographer Adam Goldberg. Adam talks with us about filmmaking, his new record and photo book, and of course, his photography. So let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with Adam. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Kodakery. Today in the Kodakery, we have with us the multi-talented, self-described, jack-of-all-tirades, Mr. Adam Goldberg. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for asking me. It's a, it's a privilege. So, so there's so many things that we, we want to talk to you about. I mean, you, you, you do literally like everything. Like, I think other than astronaut, you've got everything covered. Unless... I, I don't... I... No, that's not true. I'm uh, I'm working on a uh, a, a SpaceX uh, a competitive it's a paper airplane, uh, but uh, I think it's going to be it's it's going to be definitely something. It's going to be good. The, right. the future, yeah. the future airplanes for sure. Watch out, Elon Musk. Um, yeah, yep. yeah, got it. So, so we wanted to kind of start with like you have you're an actor, a writer, director, photographer, musician, a very like multidisciplinary creative person. All kinds of stuff going on. Kind of when did all that start for you? Like what what was the first thing you fell in love with? Like out of all these different creative disciplines, kind of where did it begin? Hmm. I get. I mean, I think in a way, acting. I think I was just a performance, a perf- performative. Is that a? I don't think that's a word, but um, it can be. You know, maybe I'll get back to you after we're done, and then we can maybe slip it in later. We can, you know, uh, we can we can re-edit this. Okay. Uh, but but I, yeah, no, I think I always wanted attention, and I like to express myself verbally and somewhat theatrically since I was like a little kid. Um, and over time, um, you know, in high school, my interest in um, photography and then eventually filmmaking developed. I don't really remember like a kind of a turning point. I do remember that I think the first camera I owned was a camera that my mom got me, which was like a Bell and Howell sort of point and shoot type thing. And then, uh, you know, I must've gotten, I had some kind of Nikon or something in high school. And uh, yeah, so I was taking that, you know, my priority I think was to be an actor. I was taking acting classes outside of act, outside of school and doing plays. And um, I was pretty serious about, about my intention to do that. And then, I, uh, but, you know, all the while, like, you know, whatever, I just remember doing, you know, contributions to the art and literary magazine that were, you know, photographs I took on Melrose, you know, Avenue, which I used to live near back in the 80s when Melrose was kind of still Melrose and pretty, pretty, kind of a pretty cool place. Um, And there was this interesting juxtaposition of old retirement homes and like, you know, sort of punk rock shops and stuff. And so I was doing this kind of like, you know, uh, you know, compare and contrast, you know, photographically of, of these two worlds or whatever. I'd love to track that down at some point. Yeah, I was going to ask I actually if you have, have that. Yeah. <laughs> I have found some prints of it. I just don't know where the actual, I don't think I'll ever find that magazine, but I found like prints of like Wacko, the store Wacko. And I don't know if I, uh, you know, just in my archives, um, my, you know, big box of, of, of photos from that era. But you know, music stuff kind of started, well, I was always extremely passionate about music and I was like a, uh, you know, a very, um, I was, a, I, I was a drummer, the extent to which I had a drum set when I was, you know, I guess probably first in eighth grade or something like that. And, uh, and started drumming at home and, you know, largely my drumming consisted of drumming along to records I liked. Um, 
in my house. I wasn't in bands or anything, and and nor was I really until in my 20s when I started writing uh, songs and recording them. And and it wasn't really until my 30s that I started taking it sort of much more seriously and and started um, putting out records and that kind of thing. But at some point, you switch over to the guitar. I'm assuming. I, yes, in my early 20s, I started you know kind of writing. I, I was always sort of like drumming and singing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I was then eventually was. Uh, you know, but I couldn't ever really play guitar, and I'm very bad at, at sort of being taught things, so I kind of end up learning things, I think, a little bit through osmosis. Mm-hmm. I was not a good student, really, at all in any way uh, in school, I mean, but that there was something I really enjoyed, like a writing class or, learning, you know, or like we, you know, uh, then I would get, uh, I mean, like many kids, I, I, I guess, I would be more invested in it, but um, but I always had a hard time <clears throat> concentrating, like I really wanted to be a saxophone player, I was heavy, heavy, heavy into jazz growing up and you know i think i took sax for i don't know my dad and i were just talking about this he remembers it longer i think it was three weeks um <laughs> and i just i was just like i just i just couldn't i just couldn't hack it you know yeah. interestingly my i make my saxophone debut <laughs> on this last record of mine that's um <sighs> that's out and coming out now uh and i play for about uh i think about six seconds probably like <laughs> like four bars of it made it into the actual cut. But um, anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but, but, but for the most part, I was really focusing on, on, on kind of acting and, and then eventually filmmaking. And I went to, to Sarah Lawrence College for a year, and, and I wasn't even in the sort of acting or the theater program. I was doing plays there, but I was really interested in writing. And, and I, I dropped out after a year, and I dropped out with the intention of going to CalArts Film School. And during that first year off, I started acting professionally, really motivated by the fact that I was kind of depressed. My first girlfriend had done me and, you know, I was just like determined to sort of, you know, I don't know what, um, have, you know, have some self worth and and joined an acting class. Mm -hmm. And and some coincidentally, the acting, the guy who was screening people for the acting class, who was also a student in the class, became an agent. And he was my agent for many years named Stephen Levy. And, um, yeah, so I, during that first year, I started acting, but then I did go to CalArts Film School for three weeks and dropped out of there. Uh, at two in the morning, in the middle of a storyboard, I drove home from Valencia, and uh, I never looked back. So I'm... Um, three weeks, something about um, three weeks, par- saxophone. Partially illiterate, but, but I, but I <laughs> w- 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 was able to forge something like a career. Well, let's let's go back into photography a little bit. A lot of the stuff that we see yeah. you doing now has double exposures, um, mm-hmm, or multiple exposures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Where how did that start? I don't know. I guess I discovered multiple exposures um, when I started shooting a lot of instant film in the late '90s on like a Pro Pack uh, Polaroid camera. You know, one of those. Ones that you know with bellows that you couldn't you know you know you were uh, you were guesstimating focus and and it was uh, it, you know it was it was like a really cheap plastic entry level actually it wasn't cheap that's the thing it was actually quite expensive and you'd go get them at Sammy's camera but it was the only new Polaroid camera that took peel apart film you know that they were making mm-hmm. um, but you know you'd guesstimate the focus and all that kind of thing and I think they're called Pro Packs uh, I still have it so anyway. And, um, yeah, I just started taking multiple exposures because you could, you know. But I always liked the way that images looked on top of images. And so, I mean, if you see my films, which they're hard to see, and one of them, Scotch and Milk, you really can't see. But that's the first time I was really, and that was, like, I guess in the mid-'90s, 
Um, and while I was interested in photography, I hadn't experimented with double exposures or multiple exposures really until I made Scotch and Milk. Um, and in Scotch and Milk, there's, there's montages that have layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. And we were doing this the old-fashioned way, which is to say, yes, we were doing it on the Avid, but the effects themselves were being done at, at um, uh, uh, Deluxe uh, Film Lab. And so you would go in and, and they would, um, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd show them the idea of what you were doing on the Avid and then they would, you know, create it on film. So it was, you know, I'm sort of happy to have had that experience at least once because by the time I made my next movie, um, all the effects were, were uh, you know, were digital, even though they were meant to have, a you know, an analog uh, quality. And, and I should say, they weren't digital. And, and but for the second film I made, I Love Your Work, we were still shooting on film. It's just that, you know, they're, they're creating the effect uh, digitally. digitally but, yeah. uh, and then they print it on the film. So anyway... Yeah. So when I, I just was really interested in, in how, you know, and it was, you know, and I think it's rooted also in my affection for for film noir and 40s, you know, um, and 50s movies that, that kind of use that, utilize that um, aesthetic. And that that's clearly been something which has had a, had a big impact on me. And, you know, that just got translated to photography, really, you know. Right. And, and uh, how, how has your photography for you evolved? Like you talked about, you started way back high school wise and you've evolved over time. It has like your, your directing of films and you're working on film sets. And has that impacted your photography or is it really kind of just sort of organically grown? Yeah, I know. I mean, I would sort of think there would be a, an overlap. I mean, I definitely think that there is a mirroring, but I don't necessarily know that one has has affected the other, except to say, like, again, that perhaps um, once I realized I could create images that were sort of like some of the images I had made in, in, in my first movie, that, you know, that was something I was more interested in, in doing rather than, you know, simply, um, you know, because in, in, in essence, a lot of what I was doing was, you know, I'm just taking snapshots, really. I mean, taking snapshots of, you know, of, and that's still what I do. I mean, most of these multi-exposure photographs are just done on the fly. There's not it's not like I'm not staging anything except in, in a few instances where I do do that. And in fact, it's interesting because I'm making a, a book right now. Well, it's, it's, it's the, the vinyl release of my record, my, my current record, which came out digitally, um, is going to come out as a part of a photography book thing. So it's sort of mm-hmm. half record, half photography book. So there's 14 songs on the record. So there'll be 14 photographs and it's going to come out in August and whatever we can talk about that. But, um, the, yeah, but, uh, I plugged the shit out of it because, you know, uh, it's costing me just an exorbitant amount of money. But, uh, anywho, I, um, of course, how could I possibly have managed to lose my train of thought? Let's see, where were we? Um, <laughs> we, we were talking about, uh, uh, how your photography's evolved and if your film work impacted your photography. Right. right. So, I mean, basically, I think these things have, sort of run parallel, you know, alongside each other. I think the big thing that, that kind of shifted for me was is that the the, uh, the advent... Oh, I was... I know what I was going to say. I was, what I was saying is that it was interesting... It's interesting going through all my photography because I'm doing that now to sort of curate this book and sort of seeing that sometimes it's hard to tell what's staged and what isn't. Some things are clearly more staged than others. And anyway, that's I maybe a whole separate... Yeah. discussion but still i like to give things a sort of a cinematic feel regardless of whether or not they're um staged or they're, right. or they're not staged but i think things for me changed a lot well i know they did when 
Well, first, like I got a Leica. Uh, I got an M6 I'm in 1999, right before I went to New York. And just, I don't know that my photography got any better. Just the photographs themselves just looked better. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, I didn't experiment with multi-exposures on my Leica until really very recently and a few years ago, you know, and started rolling back the film and, and, and doing stuff with um, with that and eventually moved over to a, a Nikon F3, which I only got a couple of years ago, which is kind of wild because now it's sort of how I do just about everything. But most of this multi-exposure stuff came about, again, when I started doing instant photography pretty religiously in the late 90s and early 2000s. Actually, throughout the whole of 90s, I, I, was, I, I was doing a lot of instant photography, but I wasn't kind of taking it more seriously. There was, you know, until probably the the late 90s or so. But then with the advent of digital photography, um, I remember I was given like a kind of a mini assignment when I was doing press for Saving Private Ryan. There were just like a million things to do in those days. There were just like a million outlets and magazines and things like that. And there was, I think it was, oh shit, I don't know, D Detour Magazine? One of those magazines. And they said, yeah, there are these new things, these digital cameras, and it was like a Nikon Coolpix thing or whatever, and it like twisted around. I still have this thing, too. I could, um, you know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. like a yeah. flat bar. Yeah. Right, you know. And so I did this thing and took pictures for, for this sort of little piece and, and then their magazine, and uh, I guess you could arguably that's the first time I was published. Um, <laughs> but... You know, it was it was kind of fun. It was interesting, and 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 at the time it was you know a total novelty. But as as time wore on, and obviously digital came to replace, um, uh, you know, film to a certain degree or to a large extent, and 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 with the advent of cell phone photography and that kind of stuff, I found myself just not. I mean, yeah, just less interested in my my film cameras and. And, you know, even sort of began to pride myself on, on my, like, that first record I did, this record called Landy, before I changed my band name to the Goldberg Sisters. There was a little booklet, similar to along the lines of what I'm doing now, but for a um, for the CD package, you know, there was a, a, a booklet, and there was, like, a, a photograph for each song in this little booklet, and they were primarily taken, you know, with my, uh, well, geez, I think it was, like, was it even an iPhone? It might have been like my Trio or something. Maybe it was part part iPhone, part part Trio or something. And there was something about this kind of grungy, low-fi quality that I that I kind of liked. But then suddenly one day, um, a bunch of years ago um, now, but probably you know somewhere in like 2000, you know, nine or something like that, I just like picked up my camera again, you know, and I started shooting film. But what I hadn't really realized was that, you know, Polaroid, I didn't, it wasn't a huge blow to me when Polaroid had gone out of business because by that point I wasn't shooting it anymore. But then suddenly, right at the tail end of them sort of running out of their supply, I got back into it super heavily and then, you know, stocked up on as much as I could and then, you know, started spending pretty much every cent I had on, on expired Polaroid and, and that kind of thing. And, um, then started getting into medium and large format photography. So this was a very circuitous, circuitous response to your question, which was, "How has your photography changed over the years?" So it changed. A, I think it. I think it. I think that while there's a, a kind of an aesthetic, I mean, while my aesthetic has probably always been more or less rooted in the sort of kind of same sort of moods and themes or whatever, I really became a kind of autodidactic, you know, medium format and large format. Um, uh, film shooter, not until, you know, sort of 2000 and, 
and nine. And I think that's when I became much more just serious about it, I guess, um, and much more interested in, in, in the, the technical aspects of it and less in the happenstance and, uh, and you know, how I could be, you know, in more, more control of the images and much more interested in lens sizes and f-stops and, 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 and even recently just in, in, in different ways of manipulating the image inside the camera that, it, you know, isn't just as simple as, you know, just snapping a picture and snapping another picture on top of it, you know, basically. I mean, there's something I've been doing a lot of, which, you know, has not intentionally De Palma-esque, you know, sort of um, kind of imagery, but, but, but kind of employ as a technique, which, which, which is just similar to using a diopter um, when you're shooting, on a, shooting a movie and, and keeping sort of both the foreground and the background in perfect focus, but also at the same time having this kind of uh, shallow depth of field on, on, on the foreground subject and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's so much, like, um, while you're talking, I'm scrolling up and down through your Instagram feed, and there's just so many beautiful colors, so, like, the, and it's, like, some of it feels like there's still a spontaneity to it, but you can tell that they're carefully considered and composed, and they're just, there's gorgeous images on here, so anybody out there who, who, uh, we definitely, we'll put links in the show notes, and we'll talk later about kind of where, sure. to, where to plug this, but I mean, it's gorgeous film work all through here. What, what has been, Thank like, you. the biggest change, like, difference for you of, is it the, the, that you're able to control the images more in analog, like analog versus digital? Kind of what has held you um, back into analog again? Like you said, mm-hmm. that digital, you're really well, discovered. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I kind of you know went back and forth. I mean, there was a period where I was just you know where I was really excited that Leica was coming out with a digital camera, and so you know for I mean I spent several months off and on in Calgary working on something and an acting job, and I. I don't know that I ever shot a roll of film the entire time I was up there. I mean, you know, just during this particular period, I was really excited to shoot this Leica M camera. But, you know, in the end, I just keep coming back to it. I mean, just the, you know, look, I, I've done some comparison in it, you know, like I, I was shooting when I went to France at one point and I was shooting in Cannes on the beach. I remember uh, there's this particular set of images and I can't even tell to this day which one of them is in my book, which is in my portfolio, not not a book for sale, but my portfolio. And one of them is a, it's, it's a picture of my wife, and then this other woman in the foreground is who's uh, a much 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 older woman, and you know it's kind of an interesting photograph. But anyway, I uh, shot one on Velvia, and I shot one on digital. Well, I probably shot one on Velvia, and probably shot fifty on digital, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And it's very hard to tell the difference. I mean, I can you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference in color and, and that kind of thing. But but it's but it's you know when 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 you're shooting like a, a super low grain slide film, I mean you know you're 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 getting close to you know to to uh, I mean the, the qualities you know start to become a little bit negligible, um, arguably. But the, the short answer to the question is is that I I like what it does to. Uh, I like how it forces me to be more considerate, though arguably shooting 35 millimeter is a little bit more akin to, to shooting, uh, you know, digital just in that you have 36 exposures. Um, certainly shooting medium format, you know, I, I mean, I'm far from the first person to say this, you know, when I do do that, uh, I feel like I get a, a, a stronger ratio of, you know, usable images to, you know, throwaway images simply because, yeah, I, one has to be more considerate. Right. Um, but that said, and then of course, then once you start dealing with eight by 10, you're in a whole other universe and four by five. 
a four by four by five view camera, not necessarily four by five, you know, because I have four by five rangefinder cameras too. But yeah, when you start dealing with view cameras, you're in a whole other universe. And I've done street photography with you know eight, eight by ten, you know, stuff, and it's the same thing. It's just I'm shooting one instead of thirty of you know right. of somebody walking by and you know and then whatever but um there's this image on your instagram feed it's the first one that's there today and it's got like there's these two people out in the rain with umbrellas right and, yeah and in hawaii yeah beautiful like like, like at first i thought the umbrella was colored like multicolored umbrella yeah it's cr- crazy it, yeah. like how, how did that effect come about is that just from in the processing um well that uh if i told you i'd have to kill you i uh so <laughs> i mean you can, it's, you can keep it's, your secrets that's fine it, it's about, it is, a, I mean, it's, it's definitely a multi, multiple exposure. Um, it's really cool. So, really interesting. So that, but, but that it turned out that way, I was, I was surprised by as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, I've just been playing a lot with using soft focus, um, images as, as one of the layers basically, mm-hmm. um, to what I've been uh, shooting, and then that just automatically gives you a, an incredible uh, texture. But that's Velvia that 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 shot actually. So so there you go, yeah. which I hadn't shot in a long time. But the other answer is is I just genuinely I just like the way I mean I just like the way film looks. I mean I I just it's it's hard to say in the digital realm because look at the at the end of the day I mean you're taking a picture and you're putting it you know people are looking at these things on their phone right yeah. so it's you know I think the bigger question is is and I and I think that one of one of the reasons that film maybe is making a kind of a resurgence or whatever um, or is or is or is or is dying an incredibly slow death <laughs> is because um, is because uh, you know, people, I think at a certain point, your eye gets tired of seeing the same sorts of qualities in film, you know, on, on, uh, of, of images. And, and, and when you see a film image in a, in a, in a digital setting, it automatically feels, depending, it, this is depending on a lot of different things. It depends on the photograph, depends on the grain. But let's just say something that has some grain in it, um, and some texture to it is automatically going to feel more interesting because it looks sort of like a print. It has a sense of permanence. Uh, it doesn't feel so much like ephemera. Once you start dealing with printing, I mean, you know, uh, th- then that's a whole other discussion. I mean, there are some prints that you could, you know, that, that once, once you print them, it probably doesn't matter as much whether you shot it digitally or not. Again, this is totally dependent on grain. Now, a lot of the stuff I'm doing for this book um, or I think a lot of the stuff I'm going to put in this book, you know, is, is uh, you know, four by five, three by four, and eight by ten instant film, and that has an entirely different quality. That that um, and and some and so much of this stuff has expired that that it automatically has a more sort of painterly um, feel to it. Now, of course, you can achieve all of this shit with with Photoshop, and you know, it's just I wouldn't never. I mean, I just would never. I've done some stuff dig- digitally with Photoshop, some multi exposures to, to kind of screw around with it. Um, and again, to me, it comes down to the, the photograph that you're taking and whether it's interesting or not and how labored it seems, you know. Um, and, you know, I think that if you can sort of sense the amount of work that some, went into something, I think it's, if that's the thing you're most aware of, um, I think you just have to be struck by the image, you know, and at the end of the day, you yeah. know, and, that, and that's the most valuable image. Yeah. I just love the multiple exposures because it's like you're telling a story a little bit more, you know, right. because you're giving, that's, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Right. So it's because yeah. you're more information to, to, um, 
digest and absolutely and appreciate. Yeah, yeah. I, it absolutely. It's definitely like this person is watching this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where this person is in this context. There's one of my favorites is this eight by ten Polaroid eight oh nine Polaroid stock that I shot of my friend Ben Parks, who's an incredible photographer. And if you want to see somebody who can manipulate film in a way that's truly mind blowing, where it I mean, it's just, it, it's, it, it, to me, it defies categorization. I mean, he's making Rothko's, essentially, with, 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 uh, with his camera. Um, but anyway, Ben is in this photograph, and my wife is in this photograph, and Ben is walking outside of, the, um, outside of my old house, um, outside the front door, and he's, you know, sort of diminutive in the image, and then my wife's face is, uh, is, 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 is huge, you know, and, and, and it's sort of, and sort of bifurcated, so he's sort of on one side and she's sort of on the other um, but looming large, and you know, I don't know what the photo means or what it's about. Although I am using it in the book, and it will relate to a certain song, and I think it will be able to sort of have a, a clearer thematic sense from it, I guess, or a more definitive um, sense from it, because I'll be marrying it in mm-hmm. a sense to this to the song. But it, uh, it, it the, I love that because it's it's it is telling a story, and some of my favorite photographers do do that anyway. You know, I mean, I'd always been a fan of you know, Cindy Sherman and and that kind of thing. And these were people who were doing it, you know, without, were doing film still like stuff, you know, um, without necessarily doing multiple exposures. But the idea of, you know, something else I've done is like create, you know, you know, sort of done over the shoulder shots. I mean, I guess, I guess you could argue that's how making movies has affected my, my, my Mm -hmm. photography. So, you know, you kind of, you can do basically exposures of people in the foreground and in the background and or, or do sort of over-the-shoulder shots and actually, you know, kind of create a dialogue um, inside a single frame, you know. Yeah. Right. You've been talking about the book Marrying the Album, and I want to talk a little bit about your music career, but as a segue, how do you... Um, I know you're, it sounds like you're still working on it, but it's going to come out mm-hmm. with the the vinyl with the vinyl. And, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, in the sleeve kind of situation, or is it, like, a package right. deal or... So yeah, so basically you'll open the book and there'll be and it's two records just because it's just you know it's just a longer album but it's you know so it's it's a uh, it'll be two pieces of vinyl and one will be on the sort of inner cover and one I think is going to be on the outer cover and then there'll be some you know some notes and some kind of production notes and then you'll be sort of headlong into the photography book but on one side you'll have a photograph and on the opposing page you'll have Lyrics. I, while I was making this record, I always had this concept, but the concept, but it's not a concept record, nor is it a concept book per se. But obviously, the, there are overlapping sort of themes and all that. But it's just really just the idea of of saying that these are just kind of um, two ways in which I express myself, uh, which are meaningful to me, and 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 have kind of coexisted in a way. And and, and in fact, I had had a, had this idea for quite some time to do something. I guess sort of along these lines, which is that like when Tumblr first started, I, I, you know, I started a blog and, and I kind of just made it this sort of dogmatic exercise where every day I was going to upload some kind of recording. So it could be anything like a song idea or really anything, but it had to be some kind of recording. And, um, and, and then uh, a photograph, which I generally was analog, which, which so generally it was instant. So I would have to essentially take a photograph or make a recording every other day. And I did this for a year you know, religiously to the point where it was just, you know, it was just compulsive and unhealthy. But 
I thought at some point it might be interesting to, to well, and, and then and then for many of these kind of scratch tracks and, and song ideas, I I did incorporate many of them into a couple of records, particularly oh, cool. this record, uh, Stranger's Warning. But um, so I had thought about maybe doing something like an exhibition where I would take the blog basically and and put it in a gallery space, and so you would see the photography and hear the music, and and I was making videos all the while as well. And ha- and just kind of you know have a, a a true you know IRL experience right. rather than it being this kind of two dimensional um, you know sort of you know hypnotic thing that happens when you're you know scanning through scrolling through people's uh, you know websites. But so I, I guess this in some way is a sort of a derivation of that, or it's a more streamlined version of that. It's a more considerate, I guess, or cons- you know curated version of that. And then I and then I am you know, where I think we are going to do like kind of little pop ups where. I'll be making prints of these and, you know, they'll be uh, exhibited and I think I'll probably do listening stations and, and probably, and I'll have, I think by that point, maybe one or two videos. And yeah, so we're going to do this po- probably in a couple of cities. I'm, I'm the, it's being put out by a, a company called Hatton Beard Press, which is a really super cool LA based small print company um, that just does high quality, really interesting uh, art books. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, cool. You didn't make the photos um, intentionally to go with the songs, correct? You're, you're selected no. from your photography and your music, right? So, what, mm-hmm. what, what's that been like for you to kind of start to link up these images? Are you seeing common themes between both of these creative outlets? Yeah, it's interesting. It's like I, I've been I've been kind of struggling with how literal to make it or not to make it. Mm-hmm. My wife, who's a designer, um, graphic designer, is really thinks that I should not make it too dogmatically conceptual. And I, I tend to agree with that, but I also just have, I just am a com- sort of compulsive person and need things to kind of make a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the, the, the project, the record is called Home, A Nice Place to Visit. And, you know, most of these, these last two records I made were recorded entirely in my garage. There were family affairs. I mean, I'm playing everything on both of these records, aside from a couple of things. And, you know, my wife plays on, on, on some of it. And, and, mm. and uh, my recording engineer and friend, Andrew, plays trumpet. And, um, but, you know, it's primarily me and my garage. And, uh, and then, you know, most of the, a lot of this photography, um, a lot of the stuff that I, that, I, that I like the most or that I find is the most meaningful to me is the stuff that really features my wife in our house and are some weird kind of cross between like, Oh wait, stay there. Let me you know mm-hmm. take a photograph. And it has, there is a, they're posed for sure, but it's in a moment or something, you know? And, and then there are other things that are a bit more intentional, you know, Ben comes over and, and we spend a day on the deck, you know, shooting film. And that's how this photo of, of Ben and, and um, Roxanne came about, but you know, there was, and, and then we ended up leaving this home that where we had lived together for 10 years and I had lived for 12 and, and, um, you know, I, I guess there just seems to, like, it, in many ways, I started to, to, to feel like it was a kind of a love letter to, to this place mm-hmm. where we lived and had some incredibly beautiful experiences and actually had some very tragic experiences, both of which are, you know, illustrated and, and on the record as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes. I think that... 
there definitely is, is is overlap, but but some of it is just is going to be about I think just letting letting a, uh, an observer draw their own kinds of you know sort of conclusions and have their own experience. I mean, there's certain songs like there's one called "The Kids Are All Wrong," which is kind of like a sort of a poison pen letter to some internet trolls, <laughs> and, and and then there's another one, "Dear Mr. Nelson," which is a, which is a letter to. Uh, to, uh, uh, to to Harry Nelson, basically. We like and, that. Um, that's, my, that's my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I like that song a lot. Thank you. Um, and and yeah, like I don't, you know, I'm not going to put a picture of Harry Nelson on there. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, you know, so you know, at a certain point, that just becomes, you know, a, a kind of a mood. You know. Yeah. Right. And for for everybody listening, that your band is called the Goldberg Sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Correct. Yeah. And so, like, Megan and I listened to the album multiple times while we were doing research oh, cool. for this, mm-hmm. and uh, right. the music is so dense. Like, you play, you play in everything on on the, like. In terms of yeah, that. I mean, but look, let's be clear. Anybody can sit there and, and multi-track until they turn blue, and that's just what I do. I mean, you know. So, let's, but yeah, let's the just idea be is, clear. Is, not anybody can do yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> not well, can well, do it well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, right, right, but, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, it's fun to be like, wow, that's a big sound, and it's yeah. like that's one guy, but, 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 but what you know, yeah. but, but yeah, it's one guy, but it took months and months. But, yeah. but, um, my um, engineer. Andrew Lynch is an incredibly talented musician who's got a band or a project. He's sort of the same kind of guy. He plays everything um, called Navitac. So he engineers my stuff, or at least the last two records, which which I did in the in the garage. And on Strangers Morning, the the, the, the prior one, that I just was kind of real dogmatic about it, and initially was wanted to do it as a band record and get some guys together. But it was just more affordable and convenient for me to just play everything. I just it just it was as simple as that. The record I had made prior to that, which was like the eponymous Goldberg Sisters record, which was really my second record, but um, uh, it was such a, it, it just was expensive and it's a pain to schedule people and it was a, it's, 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 you're limited by studio time and all that sort of thing. So, so it's obviously a much more labor-intensive process and arguably I'm getting a more homogenized sound than I would if I was getting other musicians involved. There was a kind of a cohesion to it and an honesty to to it that I that I really felt in in many ways like Strangers Morning was my first record in some odd way, um, even though I guess technically it would have been my third. And um, and so I wanted to kind of keep that sort of spirit alive, but in this case wasn't quite so you know strident about it. And uh, and so Andrew plays trumpet all over the record, and my wife and my good friend Merritt Lear, who's an incredibly talented violinist. They both played violin, and Roxanne sings some um, backing vocals on a couple of the songs. But, but yeah. Uh, oh, and I always forget, forget that. Yeah, I mean, I don't forget, but but uh, Bridget St. John, who who uh, many people don't know, but who is just an incredibly brilliant, beautiful singer-songwriter who made these, you know, really three, you know, incredible records in the early 70s and was a contemporary of Nick Drake. I mean, played at mm. shows with Nick Drake and that kind of thing. Um, and who's one of whose songs I used in my film No Way Jose and I later made contact with agreed to uh, to sing on the record. So she sings on one of the tracks that was really just a track I had, which was, was an, an instrumental track I had no lyrics for no real concept for other than this that it was called one two three four five six it was based on a loop i had made for vine actually and uh just took this loop and kind of fleshed it out into a, a kind of a you know a, a a song length instrumental track and went to new york to go do this tv show and while i was there I was recording some of the lyrics and 
met Bridget and asked her if she would do this um, and uh, or, or do something on the record, and she said, yeah, and then I suddenly panicked because I didn't know what I was asking her to do, and then I realized there was this one track for which there was really no song, you know, and uh, I wrote this kind of, uh, well, I wrote this duet for, for her and, and myself, and she came over and I recorded her in my uh, temporary New York apartment while I was there, and so she's on the record, and that to me is, I, I kind of, you know, I sort of have said this somewhat hyperbolically, but it's true. It's like no matter what, I got to record and <laughs> and and have a song I I've written, sung by someone who's you know genuinely ha- had a, a really deep impact on 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 uh, on me and uh, artistically. I mean, she's she's just to me one of the more mu- moving and brilliant singer songwriters. Right. That's yeah. awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's a great album. When will the the vinyl be out again? Just to make sure we. I mean, I would like to say that they could check it out on iTunes because then they then they buy it. They buy it. But okay. uh, well, we'll say. Yeah. That. I'll say that right now. Uh, if you can check the album well, on iTunes. Yeah. Um, when will the vinyl be out? But uh, the vinyl. But then again, you know what? Go get, get the record for free, and then <laughs> you know, and then but then you know but then buy the vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> The vinyl uh, will be out like by the end of the summer. Nice, yeah. excellent. It's more of a it's a more full package that way, anyway. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, I mean, in a way, I kind of feel slightly guilty because I know people have asked in the past, "Will there be vinyl of this or of, of my other albums?" And it wasn't sort of cost efficient really to do it. I mean, it's a very um, expensive process, but um, and we can actually get and it. And actually, this relates to photography in many ways because. What's interesting, I, I think, also maybe about this book is that you're taking something that was digital, you're putting it into an analog setting, and you know so much of this photography was is analog that has existed in a digital setting and is going back into an analog setting, but through a digital process, and then going to go you know back into a, a, a real world setting once exhibited. But it's interesting how how. Um, but in the end, whatever it's, yeah. it's, it's you know art is art, I guess. But right. but what I was going to say about it being the um, the sort of only way you could get the vinyl. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's going to be like a $50 thing, and I sort of feel bad that there isn't like a whatever, you know, a $15 or $20 um, vinyl edition of this. But to me, it just it just felt more, you know, like I could get behind investing in something that was going to be yeah. like a real whatever. But and it's more than an heirloom, just an heirloom piece. That's right. Yeah, exactly. yep. yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about Adam Goldberg, the photographer, the musician, Let's talk about acting and directing a little bit. Um, you mentioned a few films that you've made. No Way Jose, as an example, uh, like you've written and directed three films now, correct? Three or four? Uh, four. Yeah, no, three. I don't know why I, I, I had to think about it. But yeah, three. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so what's it like for you to, to step behind the camera as a director versus working for a director, having somebody direct you? Well, it's much scarier, and I and I definitely have like imposter syndrome, for sure. <laughs> uh, but you know, keep in mind, I guess, or I try to keep in mind that that you know I had been making short films and editing them, and and you know, and since I was shooting Super Eight films when I was a kid, so it was always a it, it, it feels more comfortable. I feel more honestly like an imposter when I'm in front of the camera. I mean, you do it enough time, you do it for long enough, and eventually, obviously, there's this comfort level there for sure but i there's always been something that's felt slightly disingenuous about being an actor i mean it's inherently a disingenuous craft but right. but but um but uh it's you know it's 
it's it's something about which I I, I kind of often say it's like I'm living up. I, you know, it's like I'm I'll, you know I'm like 47 years old and I'm on a set and it's like 6 a.m. and I'm like, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, because a six-year-old wanted to. Um, <laughs> and 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 it starts to feel really absurd, you know, especially once you have children and and you know a family or whatever and 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 and, and a mortgage and you just what 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 the fuck am I doing? Um, so. No, I mean, filmmaking to me has always been a much more fulfilling thing. If I knew how to make a living doing it, I would, and that's the that's that's the that's the probably simplest way of putting it. And know? particularly on No Way Jose, you're also acting in it too. I mean, what's that like doing both? Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I did that in Scotch and Milk, swore I would never do it again, um, <laughs> and and again, that was like a matter of convenience. It was easier easier to cast me in Scotch and Milk than it was to find somebody to essentially play right. some version of me. And in many ways, it's easier to direct. You're just directing one less person. So that's <laughs> so while it's while it's exhausting, it's in many ways uh, I think easier. And you can kind of direct. The, I don't think your I think your acting suffers. Well, actually, both suffer to be honest. I mean, I think there's this film I did. I love your work, and and that film. Uh, which was probably the most, I don't know, they were, they were all really, really, really difficult pro- processes. I mean, they were all small, and they were all too ambitious for what we really had time and money to do. But um, but in the second film, I Love Your Work, Giovanni Ribisi is the protagonist, and uh, and there's a quite, a quite an extensive cast. And, um, you know... It's interesting. I mean, you become a parental figure in a way that you don't need to be as an actor. As an actor, you can kind of just be a sort of, uh, you know, you can be kind of a shit heel. And then when you're a director, you realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been such a shit heel. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, wow, this is like the world's most dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but you know, it's just creatively more fulfilling. And as I said, if if, if I knew. If, if if I was capable or felt I was capable of of making the sorts of movies I wanted to make and make a living doing them, I mean that would be how I'd be living my life. So, you know, I've been grappling with that for a long, long, long time. So it's it's a source of you know a lot of uh, consternation and and vacillations and you know other shins. <laughs> you're uh i think you're doing pretty good i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i get the feeling that oh, you man. uh you like stay up late do you like <laughs> did, did i send you an email late last night <laughs> no, uh, no no but you're just like do you do so much shit like it's crazy yeah, i don't know yeah i i just yeah. like there's not enough time in the day i imagine to uh-huh. do it all so you gotta like stay awake longer i mean josh yeah i mean josh it, does it, it. <laughs> yeah yeah. No. I mean, I've always been. Yeah, it's been pain, been painfully nocturnal. Now having a, a son is now three and a half. Mm. It's I go through cycles where I get off track and and then kind of go back to where where, where I I guess I feel more like sort of constitutionally comfortable, which is to yeah, which is to go to bed at three or four in the morning. But I've really, I mean, I've had to change that um, in order to be. Apparent, and that's actually one of the reasons this last record, which I don't even remember when I started it. It took much longer than than Strangers Morning, which was done in kind of a two month burst, and then you know um, mixed and mastered over the next couple of months. But this was off and on in in intense bursts, where when that's all I was doing. But still, um, I wasn't working twelve hour days. You know, was working you know five or six hours, and you know having dinner with my wife and son and stuff. So so. So yes, I've had to I've had to make 
um, some compromises. And yeah, it's been a challenge to have. It already, obviously, I guess, has been a challenge to feel so compelled to do so many different things. And I often say I wish that weren't the case and I could just pick a sort of discipline and be very disciplined about pursuing it and getting really good at it and not being maybe kind of good at a few things. And, you know, this is, again, something I grapple with. But sure. um, And it's become much more challenging um, having, having, having a son and, and wanting, obviously, to spend as much time with him and, and, and my wife as possible. So, um, so yeah, it becomes, it becomes much more of a, a balancing act because you don't want to be that guy who just disappears into his little, you know, okay. or that person who disappears into their, their art cave, um, right. which I'm in as I speak to you now, surrounded <laughs> by all my instruments. <laughs> I think Josh is shaking his head over there. I think he's relating a yeah, lot too. Yes, and, for and, sure. and, and I don't know if you can hear this, but you guys have the same facial hair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't hear it. Listen, how, how much do you have going right now, John? Uh, I've, I've got a, like a beard mustache combination happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mine's fairly heavy right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. yeah. I saw it yesterday Josh, on Instagram you, story. You have kids? <laughs> I do. But actually, I've yeah. got a, a six year old daughter and a two year old son. And Megan actually oh, has wow. a four month old. Five month. Five month old. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I'm wow, a little wow, loopy wow. right now. <laughs> yeah. We, we, oh, we really. Oh, God, you are. <laughs> yeah. You are really loopy. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's, that's the period, man. Yeah, yeah. They don't tell you about that, do they? I know, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, people say, oh, the first three months, so you're not going to get all the sleep, or it's like, you know, or it's going to be hard. Or, but they don't tell you that. Um, uh, you just this can't. is something I said, and I don't feel like I'm scared about saying it, because I, then I thought, like, literally, it's in some, somebody's stand-up uh, special on Netflix now. I mean, literally the same exact joke. But when I, the first few weeks, I, you know, we had our, our son, I, I, I said, like, I wouldn't do it, but I get why people leave, like, like people who are not well and balanced end up leaving their kids, like, on a doorstep somewhere. Right. On a trash <laughs> well, um, like, we, my husband and I, when we were in the hospital, you have to watch the, like, shaking baby video before you mm-hmm. leave. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, we were like, God, what the, I mean, who, who could yeah, do like, why? that? How could you? Oh, my God. Yeah. The horror. You don't know what else to do. Right. I just have to <laughs> shake you. And then, yeah. And then, like, you know, I'm not saying I shake my baby. And, no, this is, I, you know, probably I shouldn't joke about this. I get but, it. But, you know, no, you, could, I, you, you see how you can get to that place, you know? Well, no, yes, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, cra- no, and then what happens is you have amnesia about it. And then, so that you will go and continue to procreate. Right. And that's yes. like. I can't remember. I can't remember what, like, a month ago was like. Yep. That's no, some crazy I, shit. Yeah, I was actually. <laughs> no, gonna, it's cra- It's really crazy. Yeah, we went through that when we had it, it, our son Oliver, and we go through that period again. And it was like, was it like this before? Like, how did was it? Right. No. No. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> just, but I, uh, I know. Was it? No. Yeah. It definitely. You. You have to. I totally relate to what you're talking about. Where you've. You've got to pace yourself. You have lots of responsibilities. You still are creatively driven, and you want to do lots of great work, but. There's other things, and and your your yeah. the output is amazing. I mean, the photography, the music. I mean, it, it, we didn't even get. Well, to I think the thing is 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 also to try and incorporate your your family into, or your in my case, my son into the experience. I mean, hopefully not at the cost of making him. I mean, actually, he he kind of is me. I don't think there's much I can do about that. It seemed like pretty much from the get go he was. So I, I don't. I don't think. Um, so the kids, you know. So obviously, um, you know, there, there, there's there are certain things that that are going to get you know nurtured and and more so than others. But 
But for instance, he's he's not as into music though. He's got a, actually a kind of a crazily good voice, but that's because of his mom, who has like you know can like has amazing pitch, which is something I don't possess uh, at all. Um, but uh, you know, he's into he's into photography. Like you know, he's got he's had several toy cameras, but I gave him film cameras really early on. You know, cheap point and shoot cameras but you know so he'd shoot film and he doesn't get to look at it you know he he some of the sh- film i've never even shown him because i just i actually we tried not to have any he doesn't have screen time or anything so so i resist the temptation to show him tons of photo- tons of the photos he's done so i was actually getting them printed like the old days where i get you know the three by fours and show him what he'd shot but the quality was so poor at this place i was getting them printed in toronto that I mean, just based on the, because the cameras were so crappy that the scans ended up looking better. Anyway, I digress. The point is, is that, you know, I, I, you end up incorporating, you know, my, you know, I, I, I've been trying to figure out a way to incorporate my son in a way which is both artistically satisfying to me, not exploitive of my son, because I have very mixed feelings about, about that. And, and then, and all, but also to engage his interest. And so he's taken pictures with a view camera, you know, because, and, yeah. and, and that is something that's very tangible because you can see the image in there, um, or in any SLR format. But even, but, you know, but he's been shooting with, you know, little viewfinder cameras and he's, he's, he likes the actual shooting, you know, and he's, and he's not demanding to see the image. And he knows the difference. And he'll, he'll he, we went to the, to Union Station. He's, um, uh, obsessed with, um, trains and every kid is and, 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 uh, and the subway, and so we took the metro here the other day down to Union Station, um, you know, our train station here in L.A., and um, <clears throat> we're taking photos, and it was actually in the metro. He saw, he, he liked the tile on the wall, and he said, you know, take a picture of the, of the tile, and I said, oh, I am, and so I took a picture with my film camera, and he said, take one with your hello so you can show mama later, and then one with your, with your camera. Because so, your so hello, like, did All you right. say? Yeah. Yeah, he call yeah he calls our 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 phones our oh, hellos. Nice. <laughs> nice, that's pretty good. Um, but one of the things I want to ask, like, do you think that some of the new technology, new platforms, uh, I say new like in quotes because it's not that new anymore, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. your, your Amazon Steaming. Prime, your Hulu, your Netflix, mm-hmm. do these things give your projects a longer life? Like, do you find people discovering work? That- well, I mean. Let's put it this way. I know Jose, which is, I mean, I'll just be blunt. It's my least favorite movie, but it's the one that you can find the easiest. You know, I love your work. I think you have to order the DVD from Netflix. And because this film company, Think Film, uh, not that I'm still holding a grudge, put the film out in the wrong aspect ratio uh, on DVD. And then I had, I had to reissue it. I think when you get it from Netflix, you're watching it in 16 by 9 when it should be 235. So, <laughs> but... Uh, so, and then Scotch and Milk, you can't find anywhere because, I mean, that was a function of, of really the time period in which we made it when it was extremely, well, it still is. It's, I still wouldn't have been able to afford it, but, you know, the budget was three, the music budget was three times the cost of the film. We made the film for $50,000 and lots of in-kind donations and that, but shot it on black and white film. It's actually, it's probably the thing in many ways I'm most proud of. It's ironic, the thing that you, you know, I will probably at some point on my life do an HD scan of it. And this goes back to your question and, and um, put it on the internet for free. And that way, I don't think I'm violating people's rights and music rights, but there's tons and tons of jazz in it. In fact, the only person who was really on board with being helpful was Sue Mingus, Charles Mingus's wife, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy Scott, who is another hero of mine, who's who passed uh, away uh, a couple of years ago, but who uh, appears in the film. And so maybe that film will have another life because because of that uh, platform. 
But yeah, I mean, yes, I think that it, it certainly makes films more accessible. I also think it makes things harder to, um, I think it makes things a lot more noisy, you know, and sure. it, I, I don't know what's good or what's not. I mean, I think democratizing art can't be a bad thing, but it definitely makes it more challenging as an, as an audience member to, to, to sift through it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also I, I think as a maker to, 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 I mean, I found that certainly with, even in the short amount of time I've been releasing records that the, it's it's nearly impossible to make a ripple in any kind of uh, at this point unless you're uh you know whatever whoever you know Taylor Swift um uh and 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 you know it's it's like you're you're dropping you're dropping smaller pebbles into bigger seas but mm-hmm. i guess there's more pebbles so there's more opportunities um but i yeah, I mean, even with No Way Jose, that made in part because this company, Sony Worldwide, which is largely a digital distributor, who gives you a window of time to, to try and get your film theatrically distributed, but it's quite short. Basically, that's their model. I mean, they, they, they do kind of negative pickups, so they, they get out of your way and you shoot your film, and then they take the film and they put it, um, and they release it digitally. And, I, and, and in order for me to make that movie and the time frame I needed to make it for, and the, the amount of money I needed to make it for, which was very little, you know, I went with this with with this deal. So on the one hand, it was sort of nice knowing that I had this distributor built in. I wasn't going to have to like, you know, I wanted to shop it around theatrically, but I wasn't expecting. Um, I didn't. I wasn't relying upon it. But did it feel the same as as I love your work when though it came out for only a brief time, um, it was still like something you could see in the movie theater. Uh, no, it didn't at all. Plus, like I said, I just don't like it as much. <laughs> <laughs> It was my it, that was an effort for me to try and do something that was it was sort of rooted in my experience making two days in Paris, which which is a whole other story, but which is the film I did with Julie Delpy, oh, which is you know yeah. So it was written and directed by Julie, but it it really began as a, a as something that we were both collaborating on and working on together. And like I said, that's a that's a kind of a long acrimonious story, but but it's a film that was that was in large part improvised, and it was an extremely sort of collaborative uh, effort. And I thought, okay, well, so why don't I make something that I'm in and whatever, do it on my terms and blah, 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 blah. But then I kept veering further and further away from that initial kind of model and then trying to marry too many kinds of things I was trying to. I was disingenuously motivated, and that's not a good place to start Mm -hmm. um, um, when you're making something. Do you think that the social media tools that are available, like we're thinking, just thinking about through this notion of there's way more pebbles being dropped in this in the pond of people mm. but are you able to sort of aim your pebble a little bit better because you're able to build yeah your i mean there, yeah there's no question i wish i had a, a a bigger audience and i've i found that I, I i sort of tend to you know reach like like peak interaction you know <laughs> or whatever and you know all my I, I know i've been pretty active with social media since its inception um but haven't i don't think given the amount of output and um, and certainly the potential for the 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 the, the reach and, and 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 that which I've seen uh, other people's you know fully exploit has been totally or it's been far from realized in my um, case. But but I do think that it actually has. Cru- I, I actually have said that I think you get a truer sense of who I am from following me on Instagram than you do from anything that I've done as as certainly as an actor. Um, 
and and I'm, I'm laughing because I was watching your Instagram story last night, and I was really oh yeah fucking laughing. The, the, <laughs> right. Well, so but see, but the, but so there, but that, but that to me the perfect example is once those the sort of that story feature came about. You know, I felt more. I, I was like, okay, good, somewhere to sort of leave the ephemera rather right. than you know, because I like to have this sort of carefully curated feed and blah 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 blah. But I like it because I you know I can have my have it essentially be some kind of you know. Like you know, improv. curated. Quasi, like well, right. Well, you, <laughs> yeah. well, right. Well, you, you, you know, the profile, you know, have this kind of sort of analog film portfolio in a sense there, if need be. And then, yeah, there's this other outlet, which is, which is a part of me, which is, um, which is, Hilarious. Yeah, which is obviously just an insane person. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I, uh, I, yeah. And also I was, I thought they might have saved my life. Like, I, the traffic yesterday was so insanely bad. I thought, oh, I'm going to fucking get out of the car. Like, I'm going to get out of the car, and I'm going to leave my car here. Um, and and uh, because I'm going to go in crazy, I can't look at this bus for another 20 minutes. I will fucking lose my mind. And so I, I thought this, this is my only salvation was to turn that thing on. I mean, I, I am usually annoyed by those things because it's like, I don't want to see somebody, you know, Tell me every goddamn thing that's in their fucking head, but um, but I feel like if you're on a road trip, and I th- th- again, it's sort of like digital media caught up with the sorts of things I was interested in doing like a long time ago. Like I, my senior project in high school was 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 a parody of other people's senior projects. So they would often take these road trips and they would say, "That's my senior project. I drove across country." <laughs> like okay, so mine was a pseudo documentary about me driving around my block for a week, <laughs> where where. Where like the guy like where I'm making fun of those guys in in this to try and make a point, but um, in doing so go completely mad. Um, <laughs> and and you know I did this thing called Running with the Bulls for IFC, which yeah. was you know which was supposed to be like a travel show, but is really like half dream, half actual documentary about my friend and I driving from New York to Chicago. And so now uh, and Vine, ironically, was the only time there was any excitement about what I was doing in that kind of world. And I, and it was hilarious because, and this was in the very early days, like I got, I swear to you, I got more interview requests and, you know, I didn't have a publicist at the time. There wasn't anything I was promoting. I got more interview requests about Vine from legit, you know, from everything from Wired to NPR than I had gotten probably since, well, since I love your work, which was probably, you know, uh, you know, which was 2003, and, and then prior to that, like, Saving Private Ryan. And, um, well, I think that's was, a testament was, to, to, to you because there's nothing else in between your, what you're doing and the other people. It's just, like, it's just you that they like. Well, well <laughs> you know, it's right, not like... what, what, I, what, what I derived from that experience was, and this is before Vine went completely insane and people had millions of followers, but right. I was like, you know, I was like, it was a big deal because I had like 100,000 followers, and I thought, this is crazy because it's like I've been on Twitter and I've been on, you know, nobody gives a shit and whatever. And, and I've had the Tumblr blog, which I you know, thought was pretty interesting, and nobody gave a shit. And, and so, <laughs> Apparently um, it wasn't. <laughs> right. Um, and so, but, but, but I realized, I was like, oh, they can, they can just, they can, they can handle me in six-second increments. But beyond that, um, because all I was doing was the same sorts of things, you know, kind of mood pieces or whatever, you know, and, um, but at six seconds, it was like, okay, that's exactly the right amount of time, but whatever you do, um, don't, I mean, literally, if you watch, I love your work, it's like 90 minutes. Um, but, uh, Is that it a might 90 minute have vine? been, 
essentially. <laughs> so, but that might have been, you know, 89 minutes and 54 seconds too long. <laughs> um, Adam, it's, it's been really great to talk with you. Kind of one last question I wanted to ask is, mm-hmm. is sure. uh, as I think about and I look at like all of the different types of art you're doing, photography, acting, directing, music, are all of these things a way for you to express a different aspect of yourself or is it all kind of drawing from the diff- from the same pool like i wonder i look at your instagram is that this is how i see the world your music is like this is how i feel about things like is it are you pulling from different aspects of yourself or is this all one story about adam goldberg just being distributed through these different channels i think the short answer is the latter i mean i i you know, I find that with my writing, which I don't do nearly as much as I should. And when I'm done with this, I have to get back into that. But um, I think that, yeah, I mean, really, since I was a kid, there was always this kind of sort of deep, deep, deep feelings of, and I see this in my son, and it's just fucking wild because he's so young and he's so sensitive and he's so deeply, deeply nostalgic and it's already happening. And that's how I was from a very early age, you know, and had a very difficult time just experiencing things in the moment and was always kind of, in a sense, photographing them. And I remember being, I don't know, what, nine years old or something like that and brushing my teeth. And I thought, oh, it would be really interesting if someone did a movie that just followed you for 24 hours while you were brushing your teeth. I mean, I should have pitched this, right? Because I would have invented reality (laughs) television. Um, But, well, actually, then I saw the movie Real Life by Albert Brooks, and I was like, oh, my God, he did it, or he did a parody of it, not realizing it was a take on the American family. So, anyway, someone was already doing this. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I just, I was, I always was kind of observing things and in many ways felt estranged from them and could appreciate the beauty without feeling totally engaged in it, which is, you know, it's, I'm sure there's there's probably a French word for that. I don't know. Ennui. Um, but yeah. but yeah. I so I think for sure that they're all that they're that they're all that I yes coming from the same place. Yes, scratching the same itch. Scratching the same itch and infecting it. Yes. <laughs> Until it's septic. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say also, good work on getting AdamGoldberg.com. Because I know there's a couple other Adam Goldbergs. I wondered how long. I mean, when you came out of the, the womb, you're like, I gotta lock this down. Yeah. No, actually, I remember it came up a long ass time ago. Like, like whenever the internet was invented, and I and I said, what? I don't. You know what the hell? You know right. what? What the fuck is the internet? <laughs> um, and I, and this was this was before there were other Adam Goldbergs. I mean, they were alive, but they weren't. Um, they weren't. They weren't, uh, you know, Prolific. public figures, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so, no, why did I find... And so for a long time, that site was parked by a guy who's got a much huger Instagram feed uh, following than I'll ever have. Uh, this guy, Adam Goldberg, a life worth eating. He's a food photographer. <laughs> um, yeah. So oh, And, uh, yeah, he's he's... He's the most popular, Adam Goldberg. But um, anyway, I think he ha- I think he was just sort of parked on it. Anyway, one day it just came up, but I was given a notification somehow. You know, I got one of those emails, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Um, <laughs> I didn't know they send emails like that. I'm not cool. I enough. don't know how it works, right? How does that work? I don't know. I'm not Adam Goldberg. I'm not. Cool I think if you Some... if you've expressed interest previously, uh, sometimes they'll hit you back when something comes available. 
something like that, but it wasn't like through GoDaddy. It was like through, you know, some some agency or something. But it was weird because it came right it came right to me. Oh, and I do remember prior to that, I did try and buy it from actually it wasn't him. Maybe okay. It, now I remember. Somebody bought it and had it parked and was and and was wanted wanted twenty thousand dollars for it. That's what it was. <laughs> ransom. Yeah, no, that's what it was. <laughs> then we're like, fuck no, go fuck yourself. Um, and then some time went by, and then I went on and I saw that the life worth eating guy was there, and then he didn't do anything with it, I think. And then it came back, and then I got it. There you go. Anyway, fascinating, fascinating. Um, I mean- and. Uh, <laughs> So, um, and, and yeah, because prior to that, do you know what my website was? What? Adam, I mean, it's still, it's, you can still go to it and it'll redirect. AdamGoldbergDilettante.com. Um, <laughs> which, to this day, I can't spell dilettante. Um, so you never get there. That's, that's what the You would have to bookmark it. You'd have to bookmark it. Yeah. Or you, or you were fucked. It, right. like, I was making it that much more difficult for people. Right. Uh, now, now, my photography portfolio is actually adamgoldbergphoto.com, which surprisingly existed. So, mm-hmm. um, But not that surprising, because what this says to you is, is that this is, again, this is prior, uh, uh, pre-other Adam Goldberg having a TV show. So, uh, right. you, yeah. you know, nobody gave a shit. There, were, there, were, there was, like, maybe one, like, kind of defunct, you know, uh, fan site for me and that was about it and so one of the benefits of having not been successful and famous enough was is that i could get adamgoldbergphoto.com no problem <laughs> good on you um, yeah yeah i know right it was all it was all by design hoax, <laughs> yeah. my whole life yeah adam it's been fantastic to talk with you thank you so great much talking to you guys i appreciate it sure. be well It is a great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention.